tonight I am hoping, um, because hope is often all we have left, is to do a little bit more preaching than teaching. I've, I've regularly been more drawn to teaching because I like seeing things in a new way or seeing things that I haven't seen before. I don't suspect you will be blown away tonight by what, by what I have to say, but if you are blown away, then wonderful. There's no, no problem with that, but I really just want to encourage you guys. But as you know, we are focusing on a, on a company of heroes, and we are looking at specific characters within the Bible. And the title of my message tonight is Living, Breathing, and Walking Like Heroes. Now, the last time I spoke to you, I quoted a scripture from 1 Corinthians 11, um, if I remember correctly, which says that Paul was encouraging the Corinthians to imitate him as he imitates Christ. And that is the quest of our lives, is to imitate Christ. So tonight we want to look a little bit about how we do that. And the two heroes in Scripture that we're going to focus on is Priscilla and Aquila. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard about them. They're not mentioned too often in the Bible. But the fact of the matter is, if you are mentioned in the Bible, it's a big deal. Okay? I have not been mentioned in the Bible. I don't know if you've been mentioned in the Bible. But if you get a mention in the Bible, then... Kudos, you know, hallelujah. I don't know, you, you got something right. Um, I, I must say, I always get confused with the names because in all honesty, both of the names sound like lady names. So <laughs> I always go Priscilla and Aquila, but they were ladies. Oh no, the one was a man. So it's sometimes a little bit uh, difficult for me. Um, I'm sorry that maybe you get it. My brain sometimes does funny things. Um, but we want to look at Priscilla and Aquila, and we want to see what can we, we learn from their lives. Now, it is a bit challenging because, you know, they are not mentioned that often in Scripture, but I think there is enough in Scripture for us to gleam a few things. And I'm going to be taking a, a slightly different angle to them tonight, which, which I think is well justified if I take a little bit of liberty. But Paul obviously mentions them in, in, in Romans, and we can see that introduction in Romans, and it will come up on the screens. Sorry, if you didn't get the tent bit, okay, Priscilla and Aquila were tent makers. Now, and the, you saw the tent, say. Eh? Back, back again? Tents. Okay. Um, Priscilla and Aquila made tents. Another guy made tents in the Bible, and his name was Paul. And they were like tight. Okay, good. You're learning. Now, they probably didn't make teepees, but I, I liked the picture, and I couldn't find a cool picture of Middle Eastern tents. So I went with the teepees. Okay, back to Romans. So Paul greets them at the end of the book of Romans. And again, if you get mentioned by Paul, you're doing something right. Okay, Paul says um, in Romans 16 verse 3, Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. I am thankful to them, and so are all the Gentile churches. Also give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. So we obviously learned that they worked together with Paul, which is what we knew. They know that they obviously on one occasion stuck out their neck for Paul, saved him from uh, a terrible situation, which unfortunately Paul seemed to regularly get himself into. Um, I don't think he was trying to, but he just somehow ends up in sticky situations. And we see that they had a church that were meeting in their house. They also get mentioned in Acts 18 and 
I'll, I'll maybe look at a, a scripture there as well. And in Acts 18, they specifically get referred to where they were working with Paul, but also where they ministered a little bit into a, another guy that gets mentioned in the Bible by the name of Apollos. Um, and uh, they minister into his life. So what I want to look at tonight is I want to look a little bit at the book of Hebrews. Now, no, none of us know who wrote the book of Hebrews. And it is probably going to remain that way unless we develop a time machine. Now, a time machine will also make a lot of other things very clear to us. But bottom line is, I don't think that's going to happen. And because that's not going to happen, we're not going to know who wrote Hebrews. Now, we don't know who wrote Hebrews because the guy or woman who wrote Hebrews does not introduce himself. So scholars, as they do, you know, they get caught up in this kind of thing. Authorship is obviously very important in the Bible, but scholars have for many years, you know, wondered about who wrote the Bible. And for many years, actually, not the Bible, lots of guys wrote the Bible, um, the book of Hebrews, um, they thought that Paul wrote it. Because you can see a lot of Paul in it, and it sounds a bit like him, but it's not quite him. Some scholars have said Apollos wrote it, who I just spoke to you about a moment ago. And others say, which is maybe a less popular theory, but I think to myself, I'm going to use that theory tonight, that Priscilla, Aquila's wife, actually wrote the book of Hebrews. And that she excluded her name from the introduction because the book might not have been accepted if a woman's name was on it. Now, that's how backward society was in those days. We have obviously progressed, I guess, in a, in, a, in a sense. Sometimes I think we've gone backwards, but other people say we have gone forward, so let's keep moving forward. And I think to myself, and I thought the ladies would enjoy this, isn't it a cool idea that the female gender sneaked its way into the New Testament? So uh, I'm sure, you know, that that you will subscribe to the theory, even though it isn't necessarily that popular. But if Priscilla did not write the book of Hebrews, Priscilla and Aquila were tight with Paul, who did write the book of Hebrews, and they were tight with the other guy who supposedly um, wrote the book of Hebrews, Apollos, and they actually taught him about God. So either way, we have a lot of insight to gain from the book of Hebrews. So there's five things that I want to talk to you about, five things that I think Priscilla and Aquila did and were and embodied that we should seek to imitate. The first thing I want to talk to you about is that they were students of the Bible, students of the Word. Now, normally, I, when I start talking about the, the Word, and how much time we spend in it. I normally ask people, and without fail, they always give me the same answer, and I suspect you will give me the same answer. What book is the most amazing book in the world? Don't give me the answer. You know the answer. Okay. What book contains the very words of God? What book has been inspired by the Holy Spirit? Spirit, and what book is the most important book in the Christian's life? It's not a tricky question. It's not like tough on the, on the scale. If any of you spent any amount of time in church or in Sunday school, you would definitely ace this question. 
And everybody would go, the Bible, the Word, the Scriptures. Everybody, yeah, some people, the lights were going on now. Good. So, this book is pretty amazing. And in Hebrews, um, Priscilla, if you will allow me, writes a little bit about what the Scripture is. Udo was actually prayed this um, when he was praying for the message tonight over me. But in Hebrews, um, what is it? Let me just see. 4, verse 12 to 13 in the next slide. For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before His eyes, and He is the one whom we uh, are accountable to. So the strange thing for me is, all of us know that the Bible is the most important book in our lives. But then, when I start talking to my audience about how much time they spend in the Word of God. For some reason, I start losing eye contact with my audience. Somehow, I, they don't want to look at me anymore. Because the initial comparison that I, that I make is I go, okay, if this is the most important book in the Bible, having the words of God, God inspired by the Holy Spirit, when you compare the time you spend on social media and watching series, how does that compare to your time in the Word? I get, you guys are doing good there, eh? Okay? So, uh, you know, there are some statistics available on this. Most of the statistics available it are, are, is, you know, from America. But, I, I mean, surely we're not as bad as those Americans. You know, they are far by far the worst, addicted to their phones and to media. So, so let's be conservative and say that in a week you spend every day, you spend about two hours watching media, so consuming media. So that's either social media or YouTube or series or something like that. Is that fair? Is that too high? Is that too low? Is, is it too low? Okay, but I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a break because I'm saying you, you're surely not as bad as those Americans, okay? We maybe spend between six to eight hours a day consuming media. So let's say you do two hours a day. Then in a, in a seven-day week, you spend about 14 hours consuming media and spending time on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and whatever. I know Trump says really interesting things, so, you know, <laughs> maybe you follow him. But now, should we spend double that amount of time reading the Word? Is the Word double as important as those things? 70 times? 10 times? Do you even have that many hours? Let me, let me cut you some more slack. Let's say... You're doing well if you were doing just half of that. What's half of 14? Now, this is a math question. Some of us have, have a hard time with this. Others do not. But, but if your calculations is correct, half of that 
would be seven hours a week. How are you doing? Many of you probably wish that I would have spoken about something else. <laughs> and the idea is not to make you feel guilty at all. But my mandate as a preacher, and my mandate as a follower of Jesus, is to speak to you about the truth. Is to give you the guidelines about what it involves to walk where Jesus walks. So, would you like me to water it down? Would you like me to make the Christianity easy and palatable for you? Or do you want to walk where Jesus walks? Do you want to walk where people like Priscilla and Aquila walked? Because they were students of the Word. Because you know this is crazy. You know what I compare this to? You can go to the next slide. Has any of you ever been in love? Anybody ever been in love? In love? Love? Any, anybody ever liked a person of the opposite gender? Maybe you had a hot fuzzy or something like that. Your heart went pitter-patter or your knees got a little bit weak. Ever been in a relationship with somebody that you, you adore? Now, when you get involved with somebody... They, they become very important in your life, right? So, so important that you sometimes reach a stage where you go, I want to spend the rest of my life with this person. This person is the most important. I want to be with them for the rest of my life. Now, if you were involved with somebody, if you were dating somebody, if you were courting somebody, and they sent you a message... Would you read it five days later? If they sent you a WhatsApp, would you ignore it? If they sent you a Facebook message, if they mentioned you in the comment, if they called, would you, you know, just go, ach, no, later? If, if, a, if a husband and wife is married, and, and by the nature of their marriage, the wife should be the most important to the husband, and the husband most important to the wife, but they never, ever spend time together, would you start questioning what they say? So what makes us any different when we say the Bible is the most important book in our lives, but we don't spend time in it? Who's a liar? Where do we go from here? We have been called to be the salt and light of the earth. We have been called to make disciples wherever we go, teaching them whatever Jesus has taught us. Where are Jesus' teachings found? So, what excuse are you making that keeps you from reading God's Word? What excuse are you making that is keeping you from understanding the love that the Father has for you? If you look at history, the unfortunate reality is that 
you can just as easily become like Jesus as you can become like a Pharisee by reading the Word of God. So reading and studying the Word of God doesn't guarantee you become like Jesus. You are in very real danger of becoming like a Pharisee as well and being caught up in rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. But when you do not read the Word, you have 100% chance of becoming neither. <laughs> so when I read Matthew, I don't see Jesus in, in Matthew go. Now, apostles, that, speaking to the disciples, saying, Now go throughout all the earth, and only the pastors have to read my word and teach it to everybody else. Only the pastors have to study the word. Only the educated people, only the people that get paid to do it should study the word of God. Do you anywhere in Scripture see God giving you a get out of jail free when it comes to reading the word? Okay. So if Jesus is going this way, and Paul is going this way, and Priscilla and Aquila is going this way, and this way includes studying the Word of God, then which way are you going? Figure that out. You'll do well. Okay, let's continue. I, I, I thought to myself I would get stuck there a little bit. I apologize. Um, the point is not to make you feel guilty. The point is to make clear to you what it involves following Jesus so that you can make up your mind. If you don't want to read the Word, then stop following Jesus. It's, it's not complicated. This is where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Follow me or don't. Simple as that. Okay, the second thing that Priscilla and Aquila did, they mentored and developed people. And we can see this in Acts 18, verse 26. And here, Apollos is on the scene. Um, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. So that's what they do. When you imitate Christ, you look for opportunities to develop people. You look for opportunities to grow people. You look for opportunities to give of yourself. And you know why you look for opportunities to give of yourself to others? Because Jesus says, if you lose yourself for my sake, you will find yourself. I wonder sometimes why people are so confused in our society. I think people are so confused in our society because they're so obsessed with themselves. And that is exactly the opposite way of self-discovery that Jesus subscribes. He says, if you want to know who you are and your place in this universe, then give what I have given you. Number three, and, and that's up already. They looked for opportunities to lead. And I think what's clear again here is from the scripture I mentioned before already 
in um, Romans that Paul says that they had a church that were meeting in their house. Now, that's not the same as today where you, you know, sign up for a little cell group to come to your house, okay? Because in our day and age, nobody's going to kick down the door and arrest everybody in the cell group and take them to the Colosseum to get killed. So, in the first century, if you looked for an opportunity to lead, if you looked for an opportunity to invite the church into your home, when the Roman soldiers came, when the security police comes, they come for you first. Because they know where your house is and they know where to find you. So Priscilla and Aquila looked for opportunities to lead. And I think it's very important for us today to look for opportunities to lead. And I think it's challenging for us sometimes because we live under the curse of busyness. You know, so we feel like we barely have enough time to come and spend an hour and a half at church. How should I get involved in church more? You know, my boss and work already requires of me so much. So I think that's one thing that's a massive challenge for us, the curse of busyness. We must continually seek to draw good boundaries and throw that, that thing off. The other thing that I think is quite challenging for us when it comes to, to leading within churches is that we don't make opportunities. We don't press in. We wait for an invitation. We wait for a platform. We wait for somebody to take us by the hand and beg us to just please be involved. And you know why it's like that for us? Because we live in a time where there are 40 churches down the road. So if I don't like what is happening here, if they don't give me enough opportunities to express my talents, and if they don't, you know, give me a platform and allow me to lead and recognize me and see me and, 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 and me, 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 me. Yes, I heard that Yo, that church down the road, man, they have the best coffee in the world and the people are so friendly there. And I've, and I've gone to other churches too. And the one thing I noticed is one particular church I went through, and I'm going to not mention any names, is that the ushers were particularly good looking. Okay? Um, both the, the, the male and the female usher, I, I don't know, maybe everybody in that church just works out and that's their thing. Um, but I just thought to myself, wow, I would come back here just to take another look at you, you know? <laughs> so, I obviously, I don't know, by trying to get people in the door, they're doing something right. But anyway, so, so when things are not lacquer for us, or when the church doesn't have the initiatives we want, or are doing the things that we want, you know how easy it is for us just to go down the road? But for Priscilla and Aquila, they had no such luxury because they were the members of the very first church. For them, it was either we get things right here or this movement ends here. I'm always so astounded when, when, when a local body experiences some sort of trouble that the first thing that people do is, just, you know, I've prayed. And I felt the Lord release me from this body. 
I go, okay. So you are seeing something in this body that is not right. You are seeing the truth. You have insight. You feel things can be better. And your move is to walk out the door. Hello? When you see that things are not happening here the way they are supposed to happen, lead. Lead. You don't need an invitation. You don't need a platform. You lead. Because when you have the truth, you can lead. It's as simple as that. But because leadership is a challenge and leadership is difficult, it is easier to walk down the door to a, to a church that's more cozy and comfortable for you. But you obviously, um, maybe this message is for your friends. So just, you know, get it, get it off SoundCloud and make sure you share it with him. Okay, so they, they looked for opportunities to lead. Okay, so we've gone through three things. The fourth thing is, they had the courage to stand up for the truth. They had the courage to stand up for the truth. And we see this again, we can gleam this a little bit from, from the mention um, in Romans 16, where Paul says that they stuck out their necks for him. Now, I, I don't think Paul was just using that metaphorically. Okay, because I think in the Roman Empire that could have been taken very literally um, because Paul nearly got killed several times. One time he got stoned and then got up and went to the next town. So I don't know if there were only small rocks around or if the people had bad aim or if Paul just had a really hard head, but he made it. Okay, um, so and they, they did chop off people's heads as well. So scholars think that it was the incident in Ephesus because uh, Priscilla and Aquila were expelled from Rome by Emperor Claudius and they moved to either Ephesus or, or Corinth and um, a riot happens in the book of Acts and, and they believe in that scenario um, that um, that's where Priscilla and Aquila um, engaged because they were Roman citizens so it meant that they, I think, had a little bit more authority. On this point, I think it's important for us to realize that, and, and I think we are sometimes a little bit naive about this, is that we live in an environment that is hostile towards the truth. And I think we are naive to think that hostility does not exist in the local body. We think the hostility towards the truth is only outside the church. But do you forget what they called Jesus? They called him a heretic and a blasphemer. Do you know what they called Paul? A heretic and a blasphemer. You know what they called all the apostles? Heretics and blasphemers. And if you take a careful look at church history, heretic after heretic, apparently ended up speaking the truth. What did the Roman Catholic Church call Martin Luther? A heretic. No less than 30 years ago, this church were called heretics. 
we were called devil worshippers. Because we were experiencing the outpouring of the Spirit. People, it's not just tough speaking the truth outside in the world. It's even tougher speaking the truth in the church. So when somebody points out a heretic to me, my ears peak. I go, really? What heresy is he preaching? Because <laughs> I'm a student of history. And if you look at history, so very often the heretic was speaking the truth. Now, all heretics don't necessarily speak the truth. But at least you can admire the courage that the heretic has to stand up and say something controversial. Imagine being in a white church 40 years ago and having the truth in your heart about God's value for human beings. Imagine being in a church in America about two, three hundred years ago when they were having their struggles with slavery. Imagine being in a church where women are not allowed to lead. And you'll start to get my point that the hostility towards the church, towards the truth, is both in and outside the church. So, that's why I go. When people run out the door with the truth in their heart, what can I call them except a coward? Because you had the truth in your heart, but you didn't have the courage to speak up. So when you leave the room with the truth in your heart, you're a coward. Because it takes courage to speak the truth. Because the truth makes you uncomfortable. The truth is not nice. The truth doesn't always give us warm fuzzies. Ooh, that's so nice. I love it. Yeah, give me more. Honest, if you can just quickly go back to that scripture in Romans 4. Just read this scripture. The word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Now, I don't know what you do with a sword. But a sword causes damage. A sword causes pain. It cuts between soul and spirit. And I wonder if you know what that, what that means. Ever since the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, we have forever lost our ability to see reality clearly because we can no longer see God clearly. Satan lied to us about God. And because we believe that God, we don't know anymore what is the truth and what is lies. The Word of God separates the spirit, the truth, from the soulish things. The Word of God separates the truth from the lies in our lives and in our world and in our walking and in our going. 
It exposes our innermost thoughts. If I could broadcast everything that you were thinking during this service, who would feel comfortable? That's what I thought, okay? So when this book reveals your innermost thoughts, it is challenging you. Thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed. It keeps us accountable. The truth reveals what is going on. And what is going on is not always comfortable for us. Last point. Priscilla and Aquila, they understood that building the kingdom is about community. And in Hebrews 10.25, we read Priscilla writing, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of His return is drawing near. And again, it's very important that we see this within the context that Priscilla and Aquila were in. <laughs> because, I, I mean, I'm fully obeying the Scripture. If I'm here this Sunday, at another church next Sunday, at another church the next Sunday, and another church on the fourth Sunday, then I have most not neglected meeting together. For Priscilla and Aquila, this was not the case. They had one church to go to, and they were committed to the people in that church. And this is what it is all about. Jesus, in John 1.17, prays. Not John 1.17, there's no such chapter. John 17, he prays, The world will know that God sent Jesus when we are one with each other. When we have unity. When we have love with each other. We live in a world where things are so disjointed. In the first century church, people did life together. Priscilla and Aquila worked with Paul every day. They made tents together. They rubbed shoulders together. We come here together on a Sunday. I'm doing all the talking. You're doing listening for hopefully most of the time. And then you're already hoping, okay, so when is he going to go? It's 35 past 7. Um, the Formula One starting at 5 past 8. So I hope he can wrap it up quickly. Um, I don't know. Maybe you don't think things like that. I've, I've thought things like that in church. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm not perfect. I have repented, and I seek to do better. Um, but anyway, and then we maybe we have a cell group. Some of us don't even attend a cell group. So how are you going to imitate others that imitate Jesus when you spend no time with people that are imitating Jesus? I don't know. If you can... Provide me with a piece of technology or another way of doing this, man, I'd be happy to hear it. Because it's one of the biggest challenges that we face in the church. We are so busy, we don't have time to rub shoulders with each other. 
And because we don't have time to rub shoulders with each other, we don't see what is really going on in each other's lives. Because I tell you now, spend a month with people and you get to know who they really are. Hey, married people. I tell you, marry somebody and then you know who they really are. No, but that's true. The thing is, it's so easy to pretend to be something that you're not for an hour and a half. It's so easy. So if I have an hour and a half, two hours sell a week, I can just pretend to be something that I'm not. Nobody gets to see who I really am. And nobody gets to love you for who you really are. And that's the thing that liberates us, is when somebody looks us in the eye and says, I know all your junk, and I still want to spend time with you. That is the embodiment of Christ. That is when we become Jesus in the year and now in the spaces that we occupy every day. When I can look somebody in the eye and say, I know you, and I love you. But when we don't spend enough time together, when we don't rub shoulders with each other, then, then how are we transformed? How are we changed? Priscilla and Aquila knew this. They knew that lives were transformed by rubbing shoulders with another person, by opening your heart towards another person. And that's why they said, don't stop doing this. So these were the five principles that I wanted to share with you tonight. And I challenge you to go look at church history and to find a time in church history and find a leader or person that was building the kingdom of God who was not a student of the Word, did not mentor other people, looked for opportunities to lead, had the courage to speak of the truth and knew that the church was about community. If you can find that person, I'd love to know. Because they would be a total anomaly. Every single person who has contributed significantly to building God's kingdom has done these things in one shape or form or another. Maybe there's more things. Maybe there's less things. Generally, the simplest things are the hardest to do. But I'm telling you now, that's how we as believers get to shape society around us. By doing what nobody else is doing. By focusing on what nobody else is focusing on. I'd like to close with this scripture from Hebrews 12. Verse 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And then let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. 
Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Einstein say, says, it is insanity to do the same thing over and over again and expect different results. So as I've mentioned these five things tonight, maybe you thought to myself, yeah, I can do maybe a little bit better there. I can really do better there. Or no, I'm all right. But the bottom line is, if you leave here and you start Monday, doing the same things you did last Monday. And why do you think things are going to change in your life? If you spent an hour in the Word last week, and you're going to spend another hour in the Word this week, do you think you're going to see more of the truth or less of the truth? Do you think you're going to have an opportunity to embody the truth more or less? Because it's not about the religious act. My word. It's not about having the right beliefs. It is about embodying Jesus. And if you leave here, living your life the way you've lived it before, then you will be the person you were before. But if you leave this room committing to say, yes, see, I really need to dig into God's word. I really need to Learn to understand this thing. Then make a commitment and do it. Discipline yourself. If you lack a bit of courage, I've got good news for you. All of Jesus' disciples did too. And they prayed in Acts 4. And they said, Lord, give us the courage to speak your word with truth. If you lack self-control, I've got more good news for you. Because both those things, both courage and self-control, can come from the Holy Spirit. The fruit of self-control comes from the Holy Spirit. And courage comes from the Holy Spirit. If you find yourself in one of those categories, I certainly do. Why don't you bow your head and let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Lord, we're in desperate need of your Spirit. I am in desperate need of your Spirit, Lord. Father, we repent of not imitating you the way we should. And we turn our hearts and our minds and our actions. And we say, Holy Spirit, help us to imitate Jesus. Give us the self-control and give us the courage to imitate Jesus accurately. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your faithfulness and for your love in this regard. We commit, Lord, to pleasing you and bringing you honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you.